Sydney Environment Institute, in partnership with Sydney Ideas and the Food Wastage Fighter Society, present the Food Waste Debate with moderator Alana Mann and discussants Costa Georgiadis, Sarah Pennell, Anka Chopra and Jonathan Moore. Well, good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us for what is going to be a, a real treat. I guarantee it. Before we start proceedings today, it is my pleasure to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. As we share our knowledge, teaching, learning and research practices here in the university, may we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever in the Aboriginal custodianship of country. And I'd like to remind everybody that we're next to what was one of the original indigenous food bowls of this region. Um, so the central to Everly area was actually a, what they call an indigenous supermarket. So this is a fabulous way to acknowledge and pay respect to that wonderful heritage. Uh, my name is Alana Mann. I'm the MC for this afternoon. And I'll tell you a little bit about the event before I introduce your four compelling speakers. I'll tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. Each speaker will have four minutes and Ed will be giving them a um, signal at nine minutes. Uh, so we hope we don't have to drag anyone off the stage. We have a basic debate format and um, it's not serious but there will be a vote and it's up to you at the end of the um, debate who is going to win and um, I guess the losing team is going to buy the drinks at the Alfred Hotel later so anyone who, <laughs> did they tell you that? So anyone who wants to join the crew later for a drink and refreshments at the Alfred, it's down Missenden Road on the right. I'd also like to thank very important people who've put this event together, including the fabulous Sydney Environment Institute team, especially Anastasia and Eloise and Michelle St. Anne for all the fabulous promotion. And of course, we'd also like to thank the wonderful Meredith Hall, organiser of Sydney Ideas. So please give everybody a hand. And there's another group of people who are very important to mention. And that is the University of Sydney Food Wastage Fighters Society. And I'm going to invite Sam Coggins, one of the founders, up to talk about the society at the end of the debate. Uh, he's going to also tell you a little bit about crops, who you may have noticed as you came in. They have a table promoting what they do. They're a social enterprise connecting retailers with consumers. So uh, that's a really pertinent and helpful uh, initiative in terms of dealing with this really important topic that we're going to negotiate today, which is food waste. So food waste, as you know, is a growing problem in Australia. Unfortunately, we're not getting better at managing food waste. About one-third of food produced globally is wasted or spoiled. And I think what a lot of people forget, and I think we'll be reminded today, is that food wastage... It doesn't only happen in the household or in the restaurant even. It, food's wasted at various stages from the growing stages to the harvesting, transportation, retail, etc. And even though we might feel we only have control over the consumption end, I think we're going to be reminded today that there are other things we can do to help deal with this problem. Australians, we're culprits. We dispose of an estimated 4.06 million tonnes of consumable food every year and most of it ends up in landfill. So, the people who are going to help us talk about how to, how to deal with this issue include, and I'm going to introduce all the speakers um, now because I don't want to interrupt the flow of the debate. So our first speaker for the affirmative team will be Sarah Pennell, who demonstrates that experience in the corporate world can be used to effectively drive social and environmental change. Sarah has international experience in PR and communications. She travelled to Australia to work in our horticultural and dairy industries. She's now the general manager and company secretary of Food Bank Australia, the largest hunger relief organisation in Australia. 
food bank rescues edible but surplus food and uses it to provide a staggering 166,000 meals on average to Australians in need. So please join me in welcoming Sarah. Now our second speaker is quite amazing because he stepped in at very short notice. But he is going to, I think, show us just why he's here tonight. Um, he is a student at the University of Sydney. He's a member of the Food Wastage Society's executive team and he has um, a very brief but illustrious history. We have to give him a break. He hasn't finished studying yet. He is a recipient of the industry-funded Horizon Scholarship Program because he has been identified as a future leader in agriculture. He recently toured Indonesia to... Uh, witness their agricultural systems at work as part of the new Colombo Plan Mobility Program. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Please join me in welcoming him. And Jonathan is representing the negative team. Did they tell you that? Oh, good. That's good. Okay, our third speaker is Costa Georgiadis. And he is a well-loved and very well-known sustainability activist. He's the, he's the gentleman on the left, the far left, in case you haven't seen him before. <laughs> he's the host of Gardening Australia and passionate about getting people into gardens, growing food and minimising food wastage. He studied landscape architecture at University of New South Wales. We won't, we won't hold that against him. And his first TV outing... Costa's Gardening Odyssey on SBS brought a holistic approach to gardening as well as a gloriously untamed beard. <laughs> Did you write this? <laughs> Costa presented ABC's Gardening Australia since 2012 and he's appeared on radio, TV and social media and he's got a fantastic new show for kids that I hope he gets to tell us about. Costa embodies the human element of food, passionately articulating the benefits of engaging with nature and our food source. And I'm really delighted to have had the opportunity to see him at work with a lot of organisations that I'm really passionate about, like the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. And I'd like to thank him for all the time that he spends supporting people who are trying to do better things for our food system. So thank you, Costa. And our final speaker, who's going to bring it home for the negative, is Ankit Chopra. He is a role model for combining entrepreneurial skills with a very strong moral compass. He is a computer science graduate. He has led a successful corporate life working for multinational companies such as Deloitte before moving to France to become a chef at the three-star Michelin restaurant. Oh, my French is terrible. Lestrance? Oh, Lestrance. Sorry. <laughs> I hope you're going to not speak your entire, your entire debate in French, are you? No. <laughs> now back in Sydney, Ankit runs a social enterprise that both empowers women and com combats food wastage. Together with his mother, Ankit established Eat Me Chutneys, which uses imperfect fruits and vegetables to create delicious and nutritious food. So please join me in welcoming Ankit. Terrific. Now we're going to let our speakers run free. They're going to stay in their seats. They've got handheld mics. They don't just have to deliver a fabulous um, debate. They actually have to answer your questions at the end. So once they've all spoken, we have a 10-minute Q&A, and then we have the vote. So I'd like to uh, reintroduce Sarah, who is going to take it away for the affirmative team. Thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here this afternoon. It's so great to see so many people turning out on the subject of food waste. Um, I mean, a few years ago, people might have mentioned the topic and we would all look rather quizzical, um, but it's really something that's coming to the fore now, and I'm very glad about that. Um, right up front, though, I think I need to declare um, that if not a total conflict of interest, uh, I have a bit of a dilemma about this topic. 
Um, as, uh, as Alana mentioned, Food Bank is Australia's largest food relief organisation. And as such, the wasteful nature of the food system is actually our game. Um, it what's enables us to collect 35 million kilos of food a year um, and redistribute it to charities for people in need. So, you know, when I approach the issue of food waste, I, I think I need to just clarify a few definitions because um, for us, waste product is, is product that doesn't realise its highest purpose. So providing... And that highest purpose is providing people with nutrition. We believe that edible food going to animal feed and mulch is a bit of a failure, to be perfectly honest. And most criminal of all is when perfectly good food is going to landfill. But the inefficiencies of the food supply chain, that mean trucks roll up to our warehouse doors every day and deliver food that we can give to people in need, we actually think that's just fine. So we don't really want to see uh, all inefficiency in the supply chain uh, eradicated because in some instances it's actually very useful in terms of uh, social justice and uh, equity within society. So that's just something I wanted to state up front. So as the first speaker, I mean, Lana's already mentioned a couple of kind of really key stats, but the first thing I wanted to say is just, you know, a few scene-setting stats. Um, and one of those that, that really hit me when I was looking these up on the internet is that um, the lost calories that happen every day around the world could fill the hunger gap in the developing world. So we do produce enough food. It's just not getting to the right people. And for us, in developed countries such as the US and Australia and so on, the waste that we generate each day as individuals is enough to feed a whole person for that day. So the average waste of individuals in first world countries is enough to feed another person. So that's something that we should all really remember. And here in Australia, as Alana's already mentioned, we are one of the most wasteful countries in the world. Um, and yet, also here in Australia, uh, we have well over two million people experiencing food insecurity. So that's something that we really need to keep in mind. It's a big problem, but that also means that there's big opportunity for change. So to today's debate, on the question of whether consumers are ultimately responsible for food waste, it's my job to introduce the argument for the affirmative. <laughs> my first point is somewhat of a no-brainer, as it jumped out at me when I was starting to check out the data. In Australia, as in most first world countries, the majority of food is wasted at the consumption stage with fresh food and leftovers making up 60% of all food wastage. What that means is that the vast majority of wasted food is going into the kitchen bin of the average Aussie home. Why is that? Well, we can't stick to a shopping list. We cook too much due to lack of skills and fear of being stingy. We don't really know what to do with leftovers. Oh, and we throw out food because it's past the best before date, and I know this is going to raise a few eyebrows, but also the use-by date, when it's perfectly fine. I had an example at lunchtime today, actually. A colleague of mine in the office um, came to me and said, did I think it would be all right if she used the ham in the fridge for a sandwich, although it had expired on Monday? And I said to her, as it looks perfectly fine and it smells perfectly fine, I think you'll be all right. By the time I left the office, there were no signs that she was suffering the consequences of her cavalier behaviour. So, you know, I think there's a lot we need to do about trusting our own judgement when it comes to food. And it's, you know, it's very important to realise that best before is a, is a kind of a, a, a is marketing jargon for buy this now because it's at its optimal condition. 
but it doesn't mean that that, that food switches off when that date is passed. But consumer waste actually starts before the kitchen, so I want to go a little bit further. It starts before we even reach the home, and I'm talking about... Uh, I'm not talking about fast food or eating out. I spent a number of years in the dairy industry and I'd like to pick an example from there. Um, obviously, milk is a, is a very short-life product and for that reason, the industry has a very uh, uh, comprehensive and sophisticated coal chain and date code process. Um, and that's to ensure that the food is in good condition with plenty of longevity when it arrives at the store. Unfortunately, consumers don't trust that, or many consumers aren't quite as trusting as they need to be, and they feel they have to take matters into their own hands. So when they approach the fridge in the local store, instead of taking the front carton, which is the next in line for purchase, they reach over to the back and take the one that's recently been stocked into the fridge because it has longer life on it. What that actually means is that at the end of the day, the supermarket staff have to take all the product from the front of the fridge, which has older code, and discard it. And that's because consumers, as I say, don't trust the system. So it goes even further back than that because the influence of consumers goes right back along the chain. So it isn't just about your direct behaviours when it comes to food. The basic principle of supply and demand is that suppliers figure out what consumers' needs and wants are and then they deliver on them. It's, it's marketing 101, right? Many of the food supply practices that have led to wastage are a direct result of food producers, manufacturers and retailers simply responding to consumer demands. Let me give you another example. Every day in bakeries and supermarkets around the country, Bakers overproduce bread so that the store shelves are still full at the end of the day. This isn't because the bakers just want to keep themselves busy. It's because customers, through their purchasing habits and consumer research, have made it clear that they don't like empty shelves. And they certainly don't like having no choice. And God forbid they have to take the last loaf available. The phenomenon is replicated to a greater or lesser degree for all products throughout the store. We don't like the sight of empty shelves and we don't like lack of choice, which means there are always has to be more in the store than is needed. And what happens to that more? It goes to waste. I can provide lots more scenarios, um, but really it's just all about our desire and need for for novelty, for choice, value for money, convenience, quality, safety. All of these things are sending messages up the food chain and the food industry is busily responding to those messages and in a large part that's why we are where we find ourselves today. But it's not all doom and gloom because this power that the consumer holds can be a force for good. In fact, it's already making a difference. The introduction of second grade fruits and vegetables into stores, and I, I refer here to things like the um, Harris Farms, Imperfect Picks and the Woolworths Odd Bunch uh, campaigns, these are due entirely to consumer demand. And the more consumers get behind them and the more they buy these products, the more fruit and vegetables won't be bulldozed back into the ground after harvesting. The recent decision by Coles and Woolworths to eliminate plastic shopping bags came about because of consumer pressure. We know from talking to them that the transition will be huge, a huge logistical challenge for the chain stores. But they knew that they had to respond to prevailing sentiment and so the consumers had actually forced them to make this change. Um, there's a saying, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, I say the purse is mightier than either. The responsibility of food waste lies squarely with consumers because it's your consumption habits that will shape the food system of the future. It's up to us whether that system is wasteful, destructive and inequitable or sustainable, efficient and fair.
Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Well, the affirmative have, team have definitely set their stall out. So I would now like to introduce the first speaker for the negative team, arguing against our consumers ultimately responsible for food wastage. Please welcome Jonathan. They say I'm too girthy for the 21st century. Apparently, I'm not bent enough. So now I just get left on the ground to rot at the farm that I was originally grown on, even though deep down on the inside, I'm perfect, which is really where it counts. You're probably thinking, that was a pretty good banana, I'd buy it. But sadly, you don't even get the choice as consumers because 40% of bananas produced within Australia don't even leave the farm gate because they do not make the standards that are set by supermarkets and middle men slash women. So to say that consumers are solely to blame for this is, I think, a bit of an understatement. While I agree with a number of the things that Sarah said, and they were all very strong points, I think we need to delve deeper into the issue because treating the problem of food waste as being something that is only controlled by consumers, is like trying to put out a forest fire with a pipette. It simply won't work. Uh, Sarah, uh, sorry, um, firstly, yeah, thank you everyone for coming. It should be a really great night. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, really good. it's really good we've all come out to talk about the issue that is food waste because a lot of people do perceive it as an elephant in the room and something that, you know, if you do leave some broccoli in the back of the fridge and then throw it out, you feel a bit guilty for it. But one thing that, that a lot of people don't understand is that it is an issue that is present in the all four pillars of production. These are the original producer, so in many cases the farmer, the middle men slash women, so they're the wholesalers and the people that take it from farm gate to the third pillar, the retailer. So they're your supermarkets, your convenience stores and the people that you buy your things off. And then the fourth one is the consumer. And I think that by just saying the consumers are to blame, it is a little bit, you know, it's, yeah, I don't think it's I correct. Think blame responsible. Sorry, responsible. Um, I like the point that Sarah brought up about uh, the supply and demand. <laughs> Sorry. The, su <laughs> the issue of supply and demand. But I want us to think, why are our habits the way that they are? A somewhat successful businessman known as Steve Jobs said that people don't know what they want until you show it to them. So I ask you to think, when you're sitting there watching TV of an evening, eating that ice cream you bought, or eating a banana that was curvy enough to make it to the supermarket, um, what are the ads on TV really telling you? If you see you know, a supermodel eating a, type, a brand of yoghurt, then you're going to be more inclined to buy that brand of yoghurt. If you see an athlete you know, eating a perfectly shiny apple or Curtis Stone on a Coles ad with some lovely iceberg lettuce, you're more likely to buy that lettuce. So I ask, why don't we show people in public places or people who are well-known to the public eating fruit that isn't perfect but that is still good? So, and the issue with supply and demand saying that people don't want products that have blemishes. I ask, why then are farmers' markets becoming so successful? Um, Sam Coggins who's here tonight, um, conducted a series of interviews last year for, of people on the street in Canberra and asked them if they were willing to buy a carrot that was badly bruised. And there was a resounding number of people that said they will buy that carrot if it was bought at a farmer's market, but not if it was bought at a supermarket, which I think is just plain silly, but it shows the number of misconceptions that are surrounded by the food industry in Australia. Um, and yeah, again, supermarkets, they say and will say and have been on record as saying that they, their quality standards are there to satisfy demand. However, a number of people have looked into this and it is pretty clear that it propagates demand. If you go over to New Zealand, a number of their large supermarkets do not have the same high quality standards that we do and they let a variety of fruit and vegetables onto their shelves. And guess what? They still sell because they aren't, you know, brainwashed, so to speak with this idea that you need to eat a perfectly looking fruit for it to taste good. And it just really leaves you wondering, if only we had a Kiwi politician in a position of power that could lead to some change <laughs> in issues surrounding this. 
And another issue that, and I'm targeting supermarkets a bit here, but there are other factors at play, but another issue that is most common in larger supermarkets in the, are the incentives for people to waste. If you're there and you see two strawberry punnets for $6 or three strawberry punnets for $7, most people, I'm sure, will buy the three punnets for $7 because you're pretty much making money. But in reality, if they're, you know, strawberries, they're cheaper, probably because they're going to be, you know, start not looking so good soon, which obviously means they're not good to eat, clearly. Um, it's just going to encourage us to waste. You might have a punnet and a half of strawberries and then throw a punnet and a half out or put it into a compost. When you could have just bought that one punnet for, say, $3 and then been happy, satisfied, and then had those two punnets that could have gone to someone else rather than just ending up in the bin. So here's a bit of a side note here. Who here likes to drink coffee? Show of hands, please. Of those people, keep your hands up if you know how much water goes into producing a kilo of coffee beans. Anyone? Yes, one person. I don't know exactly, but I know it's a huge amount. It is a huge <laughs> amount, correct. Um, it's 18,000 litres of water go into producing one kilo of coffee beans. 18,000. That's a lot of water. And in times where climates are changing, it's pretty clear that we need to, you know, become better at utilising the water resources we have available to ourselves. So how many people go to a coffee shop and see the guy, you know, tamping down his, your coffee before he puts it on the machine and then just dusting those groundings off onto the floor and then, you know, it ends up in the bin and then in landfill? No one thinks of that as food waste. But in reality, that's a lot. If you're drinking, you know, I don't know how much coffee people drink a day, but... It's a fair bit in Australia because we all love it. And if you add up all those numbers, this is a substantial amount of natural resources being wasted by businesses that aren't even considered by the consumer. And if you identify food waste as an issue that the consumer is responsible for, then I think the consumer should say, OK, let's not drink coffee anymore. But if that happens, think of the economic impacts that that will have on all these coffee-growing nations. And it really, really won't end well. And we won't be able to have our coffee. Um, and yeah, sorry, again, going at the back of the oversimplification, um, if we look again at producers, at farmers, so in the old days, someone who was growing horticultural crops such as tomatoes will just pick their tomatoes by hand in a small scale, maybe a couple of acres. However, in the modern day, everything is mechanised due to the high price of labour. And through that mechanisation, a large number, a large percentage of the crop, 5 to 10, is often left on the, on the trees and on the plants to just stay there, and then it just gets incorporated back into the soil as a mulch. But if we're looking at that, no one is pointing the finger at farmers saying, you're wasting all this food, which, again, doesn't even make it to the farm. So to say that consumers need to change their farming attitudes is, while it uh, need to change their shopping attitudes, rather, while it is an accurate perspective to have, we also need to look at a wider range of solutions to the, to the food waste debate and the issues surrounding it. And that's why I have come up with the four prongs to reduce food wastage. These are education. So this one is targeted consumers because they are obviously, you know, in part responsible to the issues that we have today. And we need to better communicate, you know, that good fruit, uh, that good fruit just doesn't need to look perfect. I was fortunate enough to spend a bit of time in Indonesia with a few people in this room. And you go to markets there and you look at the fruit and it looks nothing like the stuff we get on our shelves over here. The bananas are tiny, they're all like crooked nothing like that one over there, and, um, but you taste them and they're delicious, and, but no one over there questions it because that's what they're educated and used to, whereas we seem to have that knowledge gap in Australia that this education can fix. The second point, I think, is regulation. So in France, supermarkets aren't actually allowed to waste food due to laws passed by Parliament. Uh, so, yeah, supermarkets aren't allowed to throw out food because of laws passed by Parliament. And, you know, in an age where pretty much all of politics in Australia at the moment is just accusing people of being another nationality. I think this is another one of those bigger issues that we have to fry and can really be looked at. And then, you know, that really sets a platform for, for change. The third is scientific research and development. So if you're buying an apple in a supermarket here and see it's been grown somewhere, say, in southwestern Western Australia, southwest WA, you think about how much effort has gone to get that apple from southwest WA all the way to a shopping centre in Newtown. It's a lot. And through those production, and uh, Sarah did mention that, you know, that does, issues in this area do provide scope to, you know, increase equity and help other people through donations. But if we can improve these things on a larger scale, then 
it may provide the scope that there is good, perfectly good food that it can be just divvied up in the end anyway. So I just think that's something to look at, are those, you know, transport chains. And the third point is accountability. So consumers are made to feel guilty if they waste. You're told, don't throw something out, you know, buy better, don't let things go past their use-by date and, you know, cook more appropriately. But for me, a lot of big business don't have this accountability yet. So I ask you to, you know, really think about where you're buying and think about what they're doing with their food and what they're throwing out. In summary, uh, other than altering your point of view and hoping to show that there's more than just consumers that are primarily responsible for food waste, I'd like you to think of it not as being the cost to reduce food wastage, but the cost not to, both the producer, businesses and the planet. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Wow, the stakes have been raised. We've had props, we've had four prongs. How are you going to deal with that, Costa? Okay. Coming back for the affirmative team, I'd like you to welcome Costa again. Given that something took place here, I'll, uh, I'll keep the stakes equal. That would help. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, total, total professional. Um, it's fantastic to be here debating this topic because when all is said and done, we're all in this together. We eat roughly three meals a day, and as I will show to you over the next fifteen Greek minutes, um, it is our responsibility and it is our choice and it is our direction as consumers that will point the ship in whatever bearing it takes for the next critical, really I think critical, the next five years. So the fact that this debate is happening is wonderful. The fact that there was, you know, a wonderful war on waste project come out from England and the whole message that came through on that has been taken up by people. Everybody's interested. For people working in environmental education, they've known this for a long time, but things ebb and flow and things take their, have their moment. And at the moment, this is a big topic. But, Jonathan, there's a few little points that I will need to clarify. And remain calm, I'll be gentle. Are consumers ultimately responsible for food waste? I think we need to cut to the chase and say, what is food? Because I'll pick two words. There's living fresh produce, but there's also product. There's only one letter that differentiates those two words. One letter, but two worlds. One's a commodity. The other one's a companion that we need to connect with and associate with and become friends with every single day. Commodity prices go up and down. Some people are price makers, some people are price takers. Product is very different to produce and we need to define that. Because I ask you, how much produce have you eaten today and how much product have you eaten today? It's a good question to think about across the course of a day. I do that with schools very regularly. I ask the kids to write down. Every time they put something in their mouth, define it. And then you start to get an idea of the fact that food has been hijacked by convenience, 
and sales. Jonathan even mentioned that. But it's not just sales we're talking about, but it's marketing. We have been marketed at. And as savvy and as cluey as we are, for two and a half, maybe three generations now, that marketing has become so corporate and so big business and so top end of town that we even haven't seen that that marketing is splashed in front of us every single day. And they're so brazen as to call it super marketing. (laughs) It's right there in front of us. And we step up every day and take our dose of super marketing. Price and convenience. Leave it to us. We've got you sorted. We'll cover it all. And in that process, we've handed over the most intimate thing that we do every single day, which is eat food. That's the most intimate thing. We put something into our body that we're trusting someone else with. Just think, the outside world. We've got this amazing skin that keeps bacteria and all sorts of problems out, yet we willingly open our mouth to consume something conveniently, but we don't ask questions. If I go and put a two-bit, second-rate, non-original non, um, oil in your car, you will be at me as a mechanic, like, what do you mean? I've got to have the best oil in my car, but I'll eat a very cheap form of oil because it's three litres for the price of one. That's what we get conned. I think you could call it super conning. I'll meet you down the super con. (laughs) We handed this over willingly as consumers, willingly accepted the deal. We entered the deal and the juggernaut has been unleashed. What percentage of produce first product do you endorse? Hey, stakeholder, that's what you are. Every time you spend a dollar, you're a stakeholder, literally and financially. You buy the stake in the business, you create the stake, you create the feedlots, you drive the imported asparagus. Really, there should be just a short season where we can enjoy the bouquet of our urine. But now... (laughs) Now... You can have asparagus imported from South America 12 months of the year. And it takes away that joyous moment, first asparagus of the season, and you go to the bathroom and you go, oh, what's that? Oh, that's right, I had asparagus. But I believe only about 60% of the people experience that. So if you don't experience it, I'm really sorry for it because it's great. (laughs) Because it enhances seasonality. It makes you realise that now's asparagus time. 70% Sarah talked about the novelty, this supermarketing that she talked about. It's a novelty, the promotions. You know, a Tim Tam, a Tim Tam, let it be, for God's sake. Now, you can get cookies and cream with a dash of Tibetan and sea salt. Thank you. I just wanted to see if you're listening. In case I lost the crowd there. You know, you can. I, I, I was driving out through the back blocks of the Wimmera yesterday and I had to fill the hire car. And I, I went to the, to the uh, place where you get, get fuel for a car, which I, I, may I just remind you, there, there is no produce in those places. That is all product, right? Anyone that buys anything from a place that vends petrol is not buying food, right? You've got to remember that. It's generally packaged. And it's dead. But anyway, I went there and there was a Kit Kat. And there was three different types of... One was, was salted caramel, the other one was cookies and cream, and the other... This was all in the one wrapper. It was like, here, we'll give you even more in one wrapper. And guess what? 50 cents. Because they had it on the front of the place because they couldn't sell it. 
because that's what happens to all of these dumb promotions. They hang it out in front of us, see what we do. We might buy it for a little while, and then there's pallets and pallets and pallets of stupid Tibetan rock salt Tim Tams that people just go, <laughs> sounded like a good idea. Labelling, labelling, labelling. Who reads the labels? The labels are an excuse to hide everything, as Sarah said. You know, the best before and the use-by date, the best app that you have and you don't need any battery charge, if you want to check on the use-by date of something, <laughs> jam it up your nose. Don't be conned. It's a super con and we've just bought into it. And in the process, we've lost connection with the seasons. We've lost connection with our farmers. We've lost the link with our rural roots. We are animals. We need connection with soil. We need to understand this. And that's where the farmer's market is a wonderful opportunity to reconnect. I could go on about the consumer side I could go on about the fact that convenience has consumed us. But the way out of it is very simple. Ankrit, do you have a business? Yeah. yeah. Guess what? If I post something and say, hey, everybody, go to Ankrit's business, what's going to happen to Ankrit's business? It's going to go up. Yeah. Every time I put a dollar in his business, it says, hey, keep doing what you're doing. And he will. If we don't put a dollar in his business, after a week, he'll be anxious. After two weeks, he'll need to maybe subscribe to Who Gives a Crap Toilet Paper. And after a month, the four lease sign will be up. That's how powerful we are. And we underestimate how powerful we are with every dollar and every choice we make. When we get to do something as simple as grow our own food, we understand the time. We understand the effort. When I was doing a project with um, St Canis's, they put a rooftop garden on the top of the, the church down there, and they grew their first crop of eggplant. That first crop was three eggplants, three units, right? Three, that big. They went up there and they cut them off. There was a ceremony. And they carried them down carefully to the kitchen and they cooked these three eggplants and each person had the size, a piece of eggplant about the size of a minty, right? But what did it do? There was reverence. There was awe around the food. And that's what we need to bring back. And how do we bring reverence and awe back to our food? We get to know our food. We meet our farmers. We meet our market gardeners. You join a community garden and grow in season. Buy in season. If you keep buying mangoes out of season, they will keep supplying them. If you buy asparagus out of season, they'll keep supplying them. If we don't, guess what? The first batch of them will end up here at Food, food Bank. <laughs> and then the next batch, guess what? They won't be there. Because Ankrit's not going to do business in the negative. He can only do business in the positive. Buy in bulk and share. Simple ways. And you avoid the waste and the packaging. Learn to serve and preserve. When nature grows something, it's in abundance. When it's zucchini time, there's zucchinis coming out of your ears. Carrots, the same. Tomatoes in season. Learn to preserve. Learn to pickle. Learn to ferment. Learn to make kimchi. That'll get your inner composting system going. You'll understand food in a new light. Stick to a shopping list, as Sarah said. Finito. I love going to my favourite gelato place. And when you get there at 9.30 at night and the, the fig and something, thing, it's got written on it, finito. <laughs> Too late. You know, buy in advance. Know what you want. Get there early and buy it. Put food as a priority. If we put food in a priority as consumers, we will reduce food waste in a flash because we'll know our food, we mightn't grow at all, but we'll love our food. And when we love our food, 
we shift the ball game because it becomes a priority. And priorities speak in our current climate through dollars. And if we direct our dollars, we remove the waste. Thank you. Tell it to the people. I love it. Okay. You thought it was exciting. It's just going to get a whole lot more exciting now with our fourth speaker. Ankit is going to bring it home for the negative team. Give him a hand. I'm going to Stephen it out as well. Um, I don't exactly have a um, chutney kind of thing to wear. Um, thank you very much for, um, for your little talk there, Costa. I think it was great. I think it's, um, it's great. And hopefully in the next 10 minutes, I'll somewhat convince you to actually put that dollar into our little business be because there's plenty of other businesses that you shouldn't be putting the money in. But I want to take a slightly reflective type approach. Um, not quite the, the food waste side, but I'm going to just switch the topic a little bit and talk a bit about businesses and I guess how businesses are contributing to the actual issue. Um, I guess um, businesses are a central human activity, right? In some shape or form, the chairs we're sitting on, the mic that I'm actually holding, the, the glasses of water, every single thing is a byproduct of businesses, right? So clearly, we wouldn't be here without a business. So businesses are a good thing. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those mechanisms where human energy and the talent and, and intelligence is actually being, being used and being harnessed and, and I guess rewarded as well, right? So without businesses, we, it, it's going to be a slightly scary world as well because, you know, we all are getting up in the morning and we're all going to, bus to, act, to work, to businesses. And, and I guess... Um, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the negative press where, where some sort of, you know, some folks with, with beards in, in their t-shirts are kind of jumping up and down and kind of sharing with us that businesses are not great and it's all marketing and all hype. But really, there's a bit more to it. Sorry, we're friends here, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I guess there, there is kind of anti-business feelings that are quite, quite widespread, right? And, and, and fair enough, because Capitalism has been, um, has been twisted and kind of adapted to kind of make the, make the mighty dollar, right? And that's kind of become, become the bottom line of every single thing. Yet I guess a world without businesses is, fa fa um, is kind, of, kind of scary as well. I'm, I'm just going to read out something over here. Um, I was kind of going through preparing for this little talk and I was just kind of thinking, how do I portray my sentiment? And instead of me paraphrasing and claiming it for it to be mine, it talks about, as with many of our biggest challenges, cities, government, the economy, and even families, we can't and we actually don't want to abolish the things that's giving us trouble. We want to improve them. We want finer cities, better government, I think that's possible, less anxious families, and so too with the business. The goal isn't to get rid of commerce, but, it, but to get it to serve our long-term interests better. And so I guess businesses don't have to be bad, right? Um, just because we're using marketing and we're kind of using advertising and some of those other tools to grow our businesses, I guess we should all collectively seek to get the businesses right. And so I guess I just wanted to open up by talking about business and kind of what it means to me. And, and I'll just kind of like switch tracks somewhat and talk about what a good business is. Um, going, keeping up with the topic of uh, coffee, which consumes crazy amounts of water every, for every kilo, Imagine you walk into your cafe and you order your good old usual flat white with soy milk and turmeric and whatever have you. And as you kind of order that, you know, you're kind of waiting for the barista to make that for you. And perhaps you're thinking, well, is this guy getting paid the proper wage? Um, what about the lighting over here? Is it, you know, sensible lighting and the power company behind it? And what about the, the coffee beans? Are they actually being grown in a farm where the farmers are being taken care of? 
And what about the environment where they're kind of being grown in? And how are they being shipped across? And, and, and so it's kind of like all these kind of questions that you can kind of think about, right down to the fact that where's the money in the, you know, the, the barista? Where's his superannuation money going to? So it's kind of all these things that we can think about collectively um, of how this cafe might be running. Sure, you've just paid $4 for this single origin coffee. That's great. But what about these other aspects, right? So it's kind of thinking about all these things. And as we kind of are switching into, and I guess collectively we're becoming more and more and more conscious about where we're buying and where we're putting our dollars, that instead of the kind of good old fair trade and organic kind of um, certifications for products, we're now getting into an era where we're actually looking at businesses as a whole that are actually not just using a whole bunch of marketing and kind of like trying to sell you, you know, three punnets of strawberries for $7 as opposed to $3 a punnet. Um, it's kind of talking about how businesses are being run as a whole and how are we treating the businesses um, in, in that new light sort of a thing. Sure, capitalism has always been there. But I guess with this new kind of form of business, it's called B Corporation. Um, have many of you guys, have any of you guys heard of that um, structure before? Yeah, so, so B Corporation is talking about benefit corporation. It's not just looking at what's good for the company, but it's good for the world as a whole. And so that's uh, perhaps where we're kind of shifting to. And so there are businesses that are actually looking at all these other facets as well. And I guess just wanted to kind of get onto the third point. And the third point um, was, about, was about growth. And this is a bit of a paradox at Eat Me Chutneys because here I am sitting with my mum kind of thinking of the growth plans for the next year. But I guess growth can also be good and bad, right? Um, what's gr good growth for us? Well, we're getting more and more produce because we're going out to the farmers, we're rescuing more produce. But really, is that actually good growth? Are we actually, if you're actually going from rescuing one ton to 10 tons of of tomatoes or eggplants and making more and more chutneys, is that actually good growth? Maybe it doesn't mean it's good growth. Maybe it just means we're still not able to educate people or the farmers about, about produce that's, uh, that's proper to eat, that we're actually still seeing an increase in the kind of produce we're rescuing. So, so growth is this really interesting paradox. And, and I guess, and I guess even though the idea of running a business is to kind of grow your company and kind of maximize your profit all the time, it's, it's always going to be a bit of a paradox. And I guess it comes down to what we as a business, when I speak we, it's more mom and I, representing the business, what are we actually thinking of what growth is to us? And so I guess um, we'll continue to, to provide products that allow other people to lead responsible lives. And as long as there is other companies out there that are not doing that, that are still creating more problems and solutions, will continue to grow. And I guess that's why growth can be good for us. Thank you.